So our revenue started to drop to a point where, you know, we could barely pay for our staff members. Mm. And, and I and the partners had to work for free pretty much to, you know, to be able to pay for, for all, all of this. And of course, you know, there was no way that I was going to treat them any better. I, I just treated them worse because yeah. there was more, more at stake. More pressure. And yeah, and that pressure kind of got to me and I ended up, I ended up burning out. Hello, fellow risk takers, and welcome to my worst investment ever. Stories of loss to keep you winning. In our community, we know that to win in investing, you must take risk, but to win big, you've got to reduce it. Go to myworstinvestmentever.com and join our Facebook group to connect with our community of guests and fellow listeners. Fellow risk takers, this is your worst podcast host, Andrew Stotts from A. Stotts Academy, and I'm here with featured guests, Marcel, Donna. Marcel, are you ready to rock? <laughs> Always. <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, I totally agree with that because we had a great conversation before today's conversation. And I just love your energy and our lives have some things in common there and in common in the past that we've taken. So I'm excited to uh, introduce you to the audience and get to know and let them get to know you. So let me just tell them just briefly that Marcel is an award-winning executive coach and author living in Singapore. So Marcel, yes. <laughs> take a moment awesome. and fill any further tidbits about your life. Yeah, awesome. And, and thanks so much for having me on the show, by the way. That was uh, that's so generous of you. And uh, I'm excited to you know, kind of get to share you know, what I'm doing and, and parts of myself <laughs> and, and also where, where you know, things didn't go so well in my career. And hopefully, you know, the, your audience can get something out of that as well. So, yeah, I mean, I've been in Singapore for almost 30 years now. So, uh, so and I know we were talking earlier, we've, we've both been in Asia for, you know, for a very long time. Mm. And, and I've worn many hats over, over these past 30 years. But over the, for the past 11 years, I've been, I've been functioning as an executive leadership coach. While on the side, I'm also an author. So, I, you know, I, I love to write. I have a I have a creative itch that I always like to uh, like to scratch, and and of course my my you know my new book, which is which is actually all around energy and and about how how we can use our energy for greater success in life. And I just I've just learned over you know kind of my span of my life that whenever I am disconnected to my own energy and disconnected with myself in a way, I have a tendency to make the worst decisions. And I've, you know, over my past 11 years working with a lot of leaders, I see a lot of similarity in this space. And so, you know, and especially because of COVID, when we were, you know, working with a lot of, you know, executives and everybody's in this virtual world, it's very difficult to, to stay connected, not only to our own energy, but also to each other. And I felt compelled to, write another another story or another book about actually kind of how we can connect with ourselves in terms of better decision making accessing our intuition accessing our greater wisdom but also how we can connect with other people in this virtual world that is really you know i think going to be a new world moving forward is that i think there's there's just a reality that we have to learn to adjust to and in a strange way and for us to be able to operate in this new world and we're accessing things like technology and all of these kind of new age ways of connecting there are actually some ancient technologies that we can use that come from you know the oldest texts 
the Sanskrit texts of, of you know, mankind that are over 5,000 years that we need to apply in order for us to be able to get the most out of these new technologies, which is right interesting. Mm. So, so I felt like, hey, that's, that's a good thing. And so, so, you know, kind of that's the space that I work in as an executive coach is really kind of helping people access that, that ancient wisdom that's within them while they're actually in this modern world and operating in this new way. Well, we wear, like you say, we wear many hats. Uh-huh. This is there one of my hats for the listeners out there. I'm wearing my sergeant hat where I, I use in my valuation masterclass boot camp where we kick ass. Awesome. Got it. You got to learn how to value companies. It takes a little discipline that just made me, made me laugh when I heard that. But I want to ask you a question about this because I think there's a lot of, uh, it's, it's hard to understand, you know, like we hear words like emotion. We hear words like intuition and we hear mm-hmm. words like energy. And, you know, in some ways they feel like maybe they're the same. Some ways it feels like they're different. How do you view these different things, the feelings, intuition, Beautiful. and energy? Yeah, you know, and, and I get that question a lot from people. And, and I think one of, the, one of the challenges is is if you look at the human brain, the human brain is, is, you know, on top of our shoulders and it's in an exoskeleton, right? It's in our skull. And that exoskeleton, in a way, of course, protects the brain because that's why it's there to be able to function. But in a way, that protective nature also prevents the brain from receiving certain signals and things like that that's out there that's, that is not necessarily perceptible, perceptual mm. to, to the, you know, the regular kind of our regular mind and the regular scope of functioning. And the human brain, when we look at from a learning perspective, really loves to you know, do a couple of things, right? It, it loves to you know, learn through knowledge, through the acquisition of knowledge and through the acquisition of experience. And when those, when we're, when we grow up, we have a tendency to rely heavily on those two things, right? As kind of our only scope of way of learning. But when we look at the human being as a whole, not just, you know, something that sits on top of our shoulders, if we look at the human body, which is made of soft tissue over a skeleton, that soft tissue, our muscles and the amount of water that's in our bodies and the cells and our DNA functions like an antenna. And we receive a lot of information from the environment. And, th- and that, th- that, for example, can be energy. You know, think about sunlight, you know, walk outside and feel that sunlight, you know, beating down on your skin. That's a form of energy, for example. But we also feel energy from each other. You know, I'm, I always use the example of, a, of an energy vampire versus an energy donor. You know, when you step into the room and you're in a room with an energy vampire, you feel it, right? And the reason for that is because our bodies function as antennae and we receive that information. And that information is then relayed to the brain. And one of the unfortunate things of, you know, kind of how, how we grow up in the Western world and we learn to function is we kind of, at a very early age, we learn to disregard a lot of that information. And, and at the end of the day, that information is our intuition. It's what we're sensing from our environments. And as young children, we're really good at it. But as we go to school and we grow up and all of that, we start removing that from our consciousness. And we start over, you know, really relying on this, on this kind of that, that knowing space. And, and so for me, what I like to do is, I like to divide it into three things. And I, and I really believe that we function as human beings when we do three things simultaneously, which is think, 
feel, and sense. When we can do those three things simultaneously with the same level of consciousness, that's when we make the best decisions. And it's when we, when we disregard at least one or maybe even two of them, when we really try to kind of say, hey, you know, I'm only going to live in the thinking space, for example, and I'm going to keep everything super rational, and I'm going to be very data-driven, and I'm going to be, you know, and I'm going to take the human element out of it. And very often that affects the quality of our decision-making in many ways. And then there are, you know, those people who, who are able to really kind of blend all three of them. And they come up often with innovations and creations that not only help themselves from, you know, from a business perspective, but also helps, you know, society and have to, you know, you know, think of, think of, you know, the big, the big names, like, you know, the Elon Musk's and the Richard Branson's. And these tend to be people who are very connected with that sensing and feeling space while they're also connected to that thinking space, right? And that they're able to able to apply all three of those. Mm. So that's, that's why I think that's that's such an important thing. And, and it is something that we disregard often, especially in leadership, especially in business. There tends to be a disregard for those things because they're difficult to measure. That's interesting. And I never really thought about how, how much our bodies are designed, the body aspect, not the head aspect mm -hmm. of ourselves. Is, is really is a sensing machine. And we have contact with people, we have physical contact, we have close contact, we have so much that we pick up. And that's fascinating. Yeah. What's, uh, what's the name of your book? I believe it's going to be out right now as we publish it this. Is. I know, it's a, so exciting. And so the title of the book is appropriately called Five Energies of Horrible Bosses and How Not to Become One. Beautiful. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. For the, so it's for in the bookstores today. Yep. Yeah. Fantastic. And um, for the listeners that want to follow you or find the book, what's the best way to contact you or to get access? Through my website, really, which is which is just my name. So it's marceldana.com. And uh, that's the easiest way to get hold of me for sure. Great. And we'll have a link to that in the show notes. Mm -hmm. So now it's time to share your worst investment ever. And since no one goes into their worst investment thinking it will be. Tell us a bit about the circumstance leading up to it, and then tell us your story. Fantastic. You know, it's, and I share this in my book as well, but my worst investment, I would say, is, is in a way also my best learning lesson. And when I was, I started my career in the military and after leaving the military, there wasn't a lot of that I could do with my skill set, you know, because, you know, how, how, how many jobs out there really have a skill set to, you know, be able to, you know, kill people, right? Kill so, other people. Um, <laughs> yeah, right. So, so I had to figure out what to do. And there was something that I was really passionate about, which was fitness. And so, so I ended up becoming a fitness trainer. And in that, in that journey of a fitness trainer, I really liked helping people, you know, get better in their fitness and take better care of themselves and all of that. And that sparked for me kind of my career. And I went back to school and did a degree in, in complementary medicine, where I was introduced to, to many great assets of healing, including physical exercise. And that's where a lot of my foundation, you know, comes from. But as I was working as a personal trainer, I developed this desire to start my own gym, to start my own business. And it was, it was the fitness industry that actually got me to Singapore. So I, you know, that was in the, in the early 1990s, which was the boom of the fitness industry as, as these big box gyms were starting to pop up. And I got a job with uh, California Fitness Center, which was one of the largest kind of big chain gyms back in the day. And that, that really triggered like, oh my God, you know, this, I want this, right? You know, I want, I want to be able to do this and I want to be able to, you know, kind of have my own business. And so it took me about 10 years or so of saving, like I saved 
every penny that I worked for. And, you know, and I managed, I managed to save quite a, quite a decent amount. I, I managed to save about for me as a personal trainer, you know, personal trainers don't make mm. a lot of money. Right. So, so for me as a personal trainer, I was, I managed to save in and around a quarter of a million dollars. And, that, and I have to say that's with me and my wife. So mm. my wife together, she trusted in me and, you know, there was a large part of her life savings too, you know, that, that went in there and we're like, we're going to, we're going to build something awesome for ourselves. And, and I needed about half a million. So I went out and I, and I sought some partners, some people, and these were mostly people that I knew that were either, you know, former clients or things like that. And I managed to raise the half a million and I built one of the most awesome gyms in Singapore that you could imagine. And this was in 2007 and the gym was called Speed Institute. And interestingly enough, it still exists, but I built, I built Speed Institute with an intent to make give everybody an opportunity, including children, to feel like they were athletes. You didn't have to be one, but if you could feel like you were being an athlete, that was cool. And so I developed this athletic training center. And nowadays, of course, you know, there, there are brands like CrossFit and things like that. And so, so if somebody you know, now, now would walk into that gym that they'd probably say, oh, it looks like a CrossFit gym, except that it had sprinting lanes and all of that kind of stuff in there. The funny thing was that there was not a treadmill in there. Right. And so, and I remember spending all this money and my partners were excited and I was excited and we opened our doors and, you know, and of course we invited people to come in and look at this gym and, and everybody went, where are the treadmills? And it was, it was right then and there that I knew that I had a problem. And the big problem was, of course, is that I built a gym that was for me. And I loved that gym. I, I loved working out in my, in my, you know, half a million dollar man cave. And, <laughs> and, 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 and you know, and, and, it, and it took so much energy to kind of get people to buy into it. And, and I have to say, Thanks to the to the support of the partners who started thinking a little bit more out of the box with regards to like, you know, approaching schools and getting kids in there who like, you know, so that we came up with like development programs for kids and all of that. And so over time, you know, people started to buy into a little bit to that mm -hmm. to that concept. But where, where the investment went horribly wrong was actually with me. And as a, as a personal trainer, I was extremely passionate about, about how I was doing my work. And I considered myself an expert in my field. I was also an international fitness presenter. So when I wasn't in the gym, I was traveling around, around the world. I was you know, being invited to speak at conferences and I was you know, teaching other fitness professionals how they you know, need to be a better fitness professional. And I really loved that status. I got a little bit addicted to it. It, to be mm -hmm. honest. And so when I was, when I was in, my, in my own business, I started to treat my partners and my staff as, as like they were working for me. And it was, it was my way or the highway because I was the expert. I was the one who operationally knew what I was doing. And I became very inflexible to, you know, suggestions from other people. Mm. And, uh, and I really felt like I had, you know, it was, it was, I knew what I was doing and, and that's, that's what was going to help this business, you know, grow. And I'm not, not very proud of saying this, but, you know, I didn't behave my best, you know, and, and I became a horrible boss myself. And that's actually something that triggered, you know, for me, the book is, is I, you know, I literally, I was the worst case scenario of a boss and I bless, bless, you know, the people that, tried to stick with me, but it was, yeah, that was not, not, not a very good picture, but 
what ended up happening, of course, was that, oh, and, and of course, then the crash happened. Nice. So in 2008, there was a financial crash. A lot of expats ended up leaving from Singapore. So we ended up losing a good chunk of our clients. And this was in the startup period as well. So our revenue started to drop to a point where, you know, we could barely pay for our staff members. Mm. And, and I and the partners had to work for free pretty much to, you know, to be able to pay for, for all, all of this. And of course, you know, there was no way that I was going to treat them any better. I, I just treated them worse because yeah. there was more, more at stake. More pressure. And yeah. And that pressure kind of got to me and I ended up, I ended up burning out and then, and then came to kind of this conclusion that, you know, I can't sustain this, this kind of this way of operating and I need, I need out. And so I mm. spoke to my partners and I think they were very relieved. And so they, you know, we, we came to a, to a settlement and I, and I left the company and, and, and it was only a few, it was in 2009. Yep. And uh, so I basically bailed on my own company. And, and here's, here's the scary thing is after I left the company actually did better yep. and, and still exists. And, you know, and so, so at, at the same time, that was also a very humbling lesson for me because, you know, as after I left and the company started doing better, I thought I was bailing a sinking ship. And, uh, you know, you were sinking, when, when sinking reality, ship. I was, I was sinking the ship. Yeah. And, and so that's actually what triggered me into, into becoming fascinated about leadership. And so I ended up going back to school. I did, I did a, a master's degree while I was licking my wounds. I did a, I did a master's degree in neuroscience and leadership. And through that really analyzed what I did wrong and what I, you know, what I could have done better in that period of time. And that was, that was, kind of a, you know, a great healing process for me as I was learning, you know, all of these things that I was, that I could have done better in that, in that process. Mm. But yeah, that was, that was what I call a $250,000 MBA, you know, <laughs> and, and that was, uh, well, at yeah, least you learned very, from it. I, uh, I did. Yeah, absolutely. Let me ask you, yeah. you know, emotionally, I want you to mm -hmm. tell me about the day, the worst day of this whole experience. You know, when was that moment? That you broke down or that, that your relationship was put to the push to the brink or it just yeah. that one day. Tell us about that day. Yeah, that was actually that was a day and it had nothing to do with the work. It had to do with my daughter. And I think these things often work this way as I was I was working 16 hour days. I was, you know, giving everything to the business and all of that kind of stuff. And my daughter, she was. You know, at that time she was eight and uh, she needed dental work done. And it was when, when we went to the doctor and, you know, the dentist and, you know, because her teeth were a little crooked and all of that kind of stuff. And because she was still growing, there was like this procedure for it. And that would cost $5,000. And I, and my daughter wanted it. And I, and I had to tell her that I couldn't afford it because we didn't have the money. And I don't know if you've ever had to sit in front of your kid and tell them that you can't afford to do something that's going to be improve their well-being but that was like that was that moment that hit me like a sledgehammer like where am I like what am I doing you know and it's like is it worth it and mm. yeah and that was that was that was one of the toughest things and that's when I knew that's when I knew something something had to change this podcast is real we go down to the raw painful parts and I'd like to I always like to try to find that day that moment and I know for the sure. listeners out there, there's plenty of people that are struggling with an idea that they're trying to implement and it's not working. Mm -hmm. And sometimes they're pushing everybody around them to the limit, trying to make it work. And remember, an important lesson is that not everybody can bear the stress that you may be able to bear. 
And so I think this is a, a lots of good lessons. So let's review what you mm-hmm. learned from this experience. Tell us what you learned. There are a couple of things that I learned, and, and these are things that I bring with me today, today in the coaching is, is number one, if you are an expert in your field or you consider yourself an expert in your field and you want to start a business in that field is to do a check on yourself is to make sure that you don't start believing your own BS because other people around you who are much, much less knowledgeable than you are about your field might have some phenomenal insights that, that can actually really help your business. So, so as, as much of an expert as you think of you, as you are, don't just trust that. Learn, learn to kind of be a little bit humble in that sense and say, you know what, what do you have to offer? What am I not looking at? Because, because we get blinded. And I think that's one of the challenges with startups, right? With, mm-hmm. you know, we're so passionate about what we're doing and we think that everybody around us has to be equally <clears throat> passionate. And, and that's not true. You know, they have their own lives. They have, you know, um, their own, you know, challenges that they can deal with. And, and if we can separate that, that, you know, that passion-driven lack of empathy, right? Because that's what sometimes passion can do that. It can, it can make us so determined. And that's one of the energies that I talk about mm. is determined energy. And we can get so determined that we put these blinders on and that we stop opening ourselves up to perspectives and ideas and thoughts from, from other people mm. is, you know, and, and especially if you think you're the expert, get other people to put you in check because you're going to yep. need them. Yep. Great. So here's, let me summarize a few things I take away. Mm-hmm. I wrote down one thing I wrote down besides drawing the picture of a body as an antenna, which I Uh also did, which I think is a great, great visualization. The other thing I I wrote down is give the people what they want. Mm, And in business, I'm I'm quite similar. You know, I've created some amazing tools to solve problems that I face. Mm -hmm. And I just think the world just will, they'll beat a path to my doorway to buy this. And You know, there's a lot more there. It could be that I'm solving a problem that very few people have. It could be that I'm solving a problem that's not worth that much money to solve for people. It just, you know, there's lots of different things about that, but it's a lot easier to just, you know, give the people what they want. And that's hard too, when you're, when you have your vision of this is the way I see it. Right. So if you want to do it by creating your own pathway, just remember that, that, just triple, quadruple the amount of money that you think you need because you're going to have to educate and, and you're going to start small and you're going yeah. to build a movement. That is not easy. Second thing yeah. that it made me think about, I wrote down, you know, let's just take somebody who's listening right now. They're an expert in their field. They're skilled. They're highly skilled. They're good at their job. And they think to themselves, hey, you know, in my case, let's say I work for an investment bank and I was ranked as a number one analyst. I felt like I know this stuff. Mm-hmm. Therefore, Now, we would never say, therefore, I would be good as a factory manager, as an example. Well, wait a minute. I was an analyst. I was this. How how is there any crossover in that skill? Or I would be good as a marketing executive. Wait a minute. What's the crossover there? Or I would be good as a salesperson. Wait a minute. What's the crossover? I have these skills. And what happens is that we have these skills. We get excited about We get confident in these skills. And then we think, I'm going to start my own business in this area. And we forget the fact that running a business and the skills of an entrepreneur is completely different than the skills you need to do that job. In fact, there's many great managers that have, or entrepreneurs that have built businesses and they're not really that good at doing the underlying job. 
You know, mm-hmm. is Jeff Bezos the best guy at, you know, coding on Amazon? No, but it's building that overall vision. So I just want to remind everybody out there from your story that, you know, don't get overconfident just because you have strong skills in an area that that's going to give you the skills you need to be an entrepreneur. It's very different. So that's not an easy thing to tell people because everybody wants to believe that they can do it. But that's, right. that's my big takeaway, I think, from what I learned from you. Anything you would add to that? Awesome. Yeah, absolutely. The, the other thing is, is I, I think when we become over-reliant on what we think we know, right, that's when we get stuck in our heads. Mm. And that's when we stop turning that into a whole kind of whole person, mind, body type of experience. And we stop using that antenna, yep. you know, and, and I think in my experience, if I had that skill back then, if I had that, that and if that antenna was working, that experience would have been very different. Yeah. Right. You know, because I would have, I would have been able to sense things and feel things that I was, I was just completely blocking out and the signals were there all along, you know, and uh, there were things that people were telling me and, you know, and sending me and looks that I was getting and, you know, and all of those kind of things that I could have picked up on if I hadn't, you know, just had those blinders on and thinking that my way was the highway, Mm, you know? And uh, yeah. So get out of your head and get more into your body you know, when you're, when you're working on these concepts and things and say, what does that feel like? What am I sensing here? You know, I think that can make a big difference. So based upon what you learned from this story, this experience, and what you continue to learn, what one action would you recommend our listeners take to avoid suffering the same fate? Definitely. It's, you know, stop, stop believing that what we think we know is the only option and the only way. That was my kind of big lesson because I thought I had all the answers and there are, you know, millions of different ways of being able to, to operate and do things. And there are ideas out there that we just lock ourselves off to. So, mm-hmm. you know, and it doesn't matter what it is, it's, we, you know, whether, we're, you know, whether it's in our parenting, whether it's in the, how we raise our animals, whether it's anything, if we, the moment we believe that we know what we're doing, we're actually setting ourselves up for failure. Mm. As yeah. the Buddha said, there are many paths to enlightenment. Try every path. Exactly. Last question. Yes. What is your number one goal for the next 12 months? My number one goal is, is to make sure that, you know, the, the five energies of horrible bosses and how not to become one, that book ends up in bookstores all around the world and in the hands of, of people to a point where it actually creates a conversation around, you know, how can we lead our businesses differently and how can we, you know, maybe, maybe look at, at leadership and how we run our businesses from a more human perspective, rather than just being data driven. And let's, let's switch on these antennas and see, you know, what, what else we can create with our people by opening up these perspectives. And if I can, if I can do that in the next year, it's created some great perspective around that and make a little bit of change, that would be a big win for me. Fantastic. That sounds horribly awesome. <laughs> well, yeah, it's all big dreams. <laughs> exactly. That sounds fantastic. Yeah, yeah, well, yeah. listeners, there you have it. Another story of loss to keep you winning. Remember to go to myworstinvestmentever.com and join our Facebook group to connect with our community of guests and fellow listeners. As we conclude, Marcel, I want to thank you again for coming on the show. And You're on behalf, welcome. yeah, on behalf of A.E. Stotts Academy, I hereby award you alumni status for turning your worst investment ever into your best teaching moment. Do you have any parting words for the audience? Uh, no, not really. Just, just please, you know, pick up the book, 
have a read. There's going to be something in there, especially with regards to intuitive decision-making that can possibly help you if you are thinking about your next investment, your next uh, next you know, business venture, whatever it is that you're getting into, and see whether or not you can tap into that just a little bit more. Great advice. Ladies and gentlemen, don't be a horrible boss. Get the book and make sure you got the right energy. That's a wrap on another great story to help us create, grow, and protect our well fellow risk takers. This is your worst podcast host, Andrew Start saying, I'll see you on the upside.